Welcome to the Bringing Rural Back podcast, where we help you live a more prepared and sustainable life today so that you can have a better tomorrow, no matter what. This is your host, Greg Carter, and this is episode number 51. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about beekeeping on a small homestead, or really any homestead, but talk about beekeeping. Before we do that, I'd like to get just a little bit of chores done. We're only going to do one this this time. If you have any feedback on the podcast, questions, comments, suggestions, anything like that, you can send those to the rural economist at gmail.com. I'm a one-man show. I promise that I'll read it and I'll get back to you. Um, really appreciate questions. A lot of the podcasts that I do are actually based on questions that I've received and conversations that I've had. And I do take suggestions to heart, try to, you know, see what I can do with it, see if I can improve. With that, let's get into our main subject, beekeeping on the homestead. Honeybees are a good addition to almost any homestead. They provide a lot of benefits. You not only get honey, which is, in my opinion, one of the nectars of God. You can get wax, you can get pollen. Increased pollination, which causes increased food production in your garden, fruit trees, berry bushes, things of that nature. So there's really a heck of a lot of benefits there. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, honeybees contribute 14 billion dollars annually to our food production and according to them 100% of the almonds that are grown are pollinated by bees 90% of things like cherries and blueberries are also pollinated by bees so they're a pretty big deal there are some natural pollinators in the US carpenter bees and then there's several insects and a couple of species of wasp that act as pollinators and while I understand that there's a push among certain people to help promote natural pollinators and I'm all for that too you can't do that at the exclusion of the honeybee the honeybee while it is not indigenous to the US has been naturalized and it's just it's a really good idea it's a way to increase your production and possibly your profit from even the smallest of homesteads. Um, You can sell the honey, you can use the honey. Honey has medicinal uses. Taking a teaspoon of honey a day that's local within two to three miles is optimal, within seven miles is still acceptable, can actually decrease allergic reactions if your allergy is pollen based Um, it does help me whenever I'm able to do that and it helps a heck of a lot of other people but honey is also a good healer you can use it in soaps you can use it in all kinds of things if you have a cut or a scrape or something you can put honey on it and the scraper cut will actually heal faster it protects it it helps it helps it okay Wax is a big deal as well. Wax can be used in 
lip balms and salves and candles and if you uh, melt it and you mix it with boiled linseed oil it makes a very good metal rust preventative and actually a good handle coating for wooden handles on your homestead's tools or any tools as far as that goes if it has a wood handle so you know and last time I checked a pound of beeswax that had been filtered was like 14 bucks so that's something there if you do it right you can collect pollen and pollen has a lot of other uh, medicinal benefits as well which I just really won't go into today now um, we're going to talk about three different types of hives we're going to talk about some of the enemies of your honeybees and we're going to talk about what you can do about it and all like that so I just want you to realize that honeybees can be a major benefit to your homestead now let's go to the hives there are three types of hives that I'm going to be talking about today the first one is the Langstroth hive that's the one that most people when you talk about a beehive that's what they think about they're square or lightly rectangular boxes that are just stacked up on top of each other in that box you have wax frames or at one point they were actually doing plastic frames now the Langstroth hive optimizes honey production the bees don't have to produce near as much wax because they have a wax base when your bees go in it they will draw out those cells they'll thin out the base and draw it out and then they can focus on nectar flow and pollen collection a small super can produce up to 45 pounds of honey when completely full in order to harvest the honey from a Langstroth hive you're gonna to have to have or it helps to have a honey slinger what it is is it uses centripetal cold force and you put the things in there and it starts spinning and it slings all the honey to the outside and then it runs down once you do this you're able to remove the empty frames and then just put them right back in another hive okay uh, normally when you take when you rob your bees you have some empty frames that you replace automatically but you kind of you don't have to have that's just common practice like I said that focuses on honey production the only real wax you're gonna collect unless you don't do it with a slinger is gonna be your caps now what happens is is when the honeybees collect all the nectar nectar they fill up these little cells or little little boxes with the nectar and then some of the bees are in there and they're 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 moving their wings and they're causing all of the excess moisture to evaporate which creates the honey it condenses it once it's turned into honey they'll cap it so that you know no nasties can get into the honey when you harvest it you have to cut off or scrape off those caps a lot of folks just feed the, those caps back to the bees because then they're able to turn it right back into wax in the hive if you collect it it would take a very long time to collect a significant amount of wax but you still are getting a little bit 
of a wax harvest by doing so. Um, the next type of hive that we're going to talk about is a warre hive. A warre hive looks a lot like a Landstroth. It's um, square or lightly rectangular boxes stacked on top of each other, but instead of having the frames and the wax base in it, it just has like bars and maybe even wire, which is, helps as a guide and a support for the comb. And then the bees actually build the comb on that. And then you go from there. Now you get a decreased amount of honey production, an increased amount of wax production, but they, it takes them longer because they're having to expend more energy on wax creation than they do in the Landstroth hive. The Warre hive is supposedly a little more natural than the Langstroth, um, and they're less expensive to purchase. They're a little easier to make personally, but you know, you just kind of got a deal, all right? The final type that we're going to talk about is called a top bar. A top bar is actually completely different from the other two. It's long and a single level, whereas the other two that we've talked about are multiple levels. The, the top bar is supposedly the most natural of the three it kind of recreates what it would be like for the bees if they had built their hive in like a hollow log or a downed tree. Now, without a doubt, the easiest to build on your own. I have built uh, four top bar hives. Now, the first, set, the first set that I built, or the first hive that I built, I just took plans right straight off the internet and built them. I wasn't real impressed with my first one because the top didn't seal off right. So each time that I built a new hive, I modified the plan, and by the time I built my fourth one, it was actually pretty good, and I, I liked it, and I liked the way that it did. Now once again you're going to get decreased honey production even over the other two because 100 percent of the comb creation every bit of it falls to your bees now you're going to get the greatest amount of wax production from a top bar hive inside the hive all there is is like wood slats that you can actually cause cords to drop from for a little added support but every bit of the wax creation is done by your bees in general it doesn't matter which of the three types that you choose your first year you're not going to get honey your first year I've heard of people being able to rob their bees the first year but that's extremely unusual you want to leave an average of 45 pounds of honey or one small super if you're looking at the Langstroth in order to give your bees enough energy and enough oomph to make it through the winter. 
even with that, you may wind up finding that you have to feed your bees. Now, there's two primary ways that people get a swarm of bees. They are captured hives and purchased hives. Now, there's a whole bunch of different ways to purchase a hive or a swarm, but those are your two primary ways. A wild-caught swarm tends to be a little more aggressive or hot, um, which means that they're going to be a little more territorial. They're going to be more likely to, to go after you when you get too close to the hive. But that doesn't mean that you can't get them used to you. When we first decided to add honeybees to our little homestead, my wife was all worried, aren't they going to attack anybody? Well, no, baby. They won't. It'll be fine. Are you sure? Yes, baby, I'm sure. So we wound up getting a uh, swarm of bees from a local beekeeper because generally every year, older hives, unless you manage them to avoid it, have a swarm. They produce another queen. The old queen leaves with about half of the worker bees and creates another swarm. If you allow them to swarm like that and you have your equipment on hand, you can just collect those bees, all of a sudden you have another hive. This is actually, in my opinion, the best way to get your bees. But you can wind up with some wild genetics in there because when a queen goes out and she's bred, she can be bred by uh, feral drones, okay? But especially if you're talking about a queen or a swarm that has been in your area for multiple generations, you're gonna find that they have a lot better uh, resistance to some of the nasties that we'll talk in a little bit. And there are swarm traps, which we're not gonna go really into any detail in, but just realize that you can set out a swarm trap, and if you're lucky, you can wind up having a swarm of bees for nothing. The next way to do it is to buy bees, and I've actually done this as well. When you buy them, they normally come through the U.S. mail. It's kind of funny to go to the post office and pick up a box that's buzzing. I'm surprised at this point, as paranoid as we've gotten, that uh, some unknowing postal worker hasn't decided, oh my God, it's a bomb. Okay? But... Um, they are generally an Italian strand of bee and they're a lot more laid back. When you install your bees, you're gonna wanna feed them. And feeding them, you're gonna wanna do, basically you can purchase dehydrated honey, which you can feed either as a powder or you can reconstitute and feed them, or you can feed them sugar water. I've always kind of done the sugar water. What I've always done is I mix like three cups of sugar with warm water until all the sugar's designed well, dissolved well, 
and then I put it in like a, a quart jar or a pint jar and you've got a little lid it's got a whole bunch of little holes in it and they've got this thing which slides up under your your opening and then the bees can go in there and collect after the nectar flow has started you can continue to feed your bees but you're going to decrease the amount of sugar in the water which is going to wean them off of it and force them to go out into nature and forage i have known people that fed the exact same um, mixture all the time and the bees never actually went to forage they just kept collecting from the free stuff and what they wound up with is sugar water honey now it tastes okay but you don't get any of the benefits from an actual harvested honey um, at this point I want to talk a little bit about your equipment equipment for keeping bees you're going to want to have a bee suit you're going to want to have a hood good set of gloves a smoker and some basic tools and it doesn't matter which type of hive you choose all of these are going to be true but certain tools are more needed for certain types of hives Your bee suit, you can purchase a bee suit through places like Man's Lake or even Amazon. Now what I did is I actually bought me like a Tyvek suit. Now that's like the painter's suit. I have actually just used like uh, coveralls. And um, they work good, but you got to have gloves and you got to have duct tape you want to buy your hood now I bought my hood from Amazon and I bought one of the cheap hoods which did not include a hat it was just a hood so I actually put a like a hard hat in it to kind of keep it right off of my skin that way they couldn't sting me through it okay and I hadn't been stung in a very long time the only time that I've been stung on my hives on my current property is when I didn't seal up my suit properly and you seal up your suit by using duct tape when you put your gloves on your gloves go over the Tyvek and then you tape up so things can't crawl up the inside of your gloves and sting you and then you tape up around your work boots if you buy a professional beekeeping suit this is not necessary because a lot of those will have the gloves actually inside the suit it's all made in one piece kind of almost like a almost like a radiation suit okay your tools that are you'll need you'll need a hive tool now you can get by with a small pry bar and a sharp knife what the high of what the hive tool is for is to be able to separate frames and supers from the main hive because when your bees go in there they actually seal every crack and crevice to make their home weather tight they're actually better about conserving energy than many of us are and it's just a good idea to have that with the top bar hive you definitely need the good sharp knife 
because since they're making their own comb, a lot of times they will adhere the comb to the sides of the hive. When you're working with something that has pre-built frames, then most of the time they adhere to the structure of the frames and it's not as important. The last piece of equipment I want to talk about is the smoker. Now, when I was growing up, my grandfather, he's the one who first introduced me to beekeeping. We would usually go through the woods in the springtime and we would watch honeybees fly around. And my first experience with bees was, was actually with wild bees. We'd find a hive in a tree. We'd cut the tree down, we'd harvest the honey, and in all honesty, it wound up probably destroying the swarm. Well, later on, my grandfather put in beehives. And he didn't use any protective equipment whatsoever except a hood. His skin was so thick, I think if they were to try to sting him, especially on his hands, that it would blunt the tip of their stinger may be a slight exaggeration but I don't know if it was by much and when he smoked his bees he actually used like old natural burlap as his smoking uh, tender and you just started the fire shoved it down in there and you puff 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 created smoke the smoke kind of disorients the bees and kind of makes them a little more laid back so that you're able to work them without them going absolutely crazy and it helps remove them they try to get away from the smoke so it's just a good idea as I've gotten older I actually use pine needles quite a bit for smoke now there you can buy things that will produce smoke and you can actually buy like liquid or chemical smoke if you want to do that. There are a lot of people who've gotten to the point where they don't work their bees with smoke at all. I understand the reasoning. Um, I've never tried it except for to check on my bees. When I check on my bees I don't use smoke. And you use smoke as little as possible. So that's your basic equipment. Now, some of the nasties that will attack your hive. There's varroa mites, small hive beetles, tracheal mites, uh, wax moths, and then of course there's colony collapse disorder. Let me check my notes, make sure that I haven't forgotten anything. Oh yeah, um, and foul brood. Now foul brood, once you find it, the only thing you can do is destroy the hive. Everything else can be treated. There are a variety of chemical and herbal treatments for all the above. I will provide a link to places that talk about the different ones. We're not going to go into them in any great detail because it's very technical and I, I would butcher it. Now, colony collapse disorder about oh I'd say three years ago it was all the news and nobody really knows for certain what causes it 
a study at Harvard said the most likely cause is pesticides. But if you go to one of the websites of, or any of the websites of the pesticide manufacturers, oh, there's possibly a lot of things, and they'll talk about, you know, um, environmental impacts, improperly maintained hives, they'll talk about this, they'll talk about that, they'll talk about the other thing, and then right at the very last, and possible improper use of pesticides. So even the pesticide manufacturers have to admit that, yeah, pesticides are probably a contributing factor, but, oh, no, it's not our fault. It's your fault because you're using it wrong. Well, let's just be honest. If even they have to admit that pesticides are possibly a cause, then it's probably the cause. So, that's a really big plus for using organic agriculture, organic gardening, and organic treatment methods. Now, the place where I go to learn as much as I can about organic treatments of bees is actually, he, he does some work for another podcast, but uh, it's Michael Jordan and a bee-friendly company. I'll provide a link to that. And he's he's really good. And I, I love listening to him. He's really laid back. Seems like a really good guy. Uh, but he really cares about his bees. So just realize that that is a major deal. If you decide that you're going to put into beehives, put in beehives if you're going to get into them, don't make the mistake that I did first and only put in one hive. Always put in a minimum of two. Now, why do I say that? Well, it's actually quite simple. If you only have one hive, you don't have anything to judge its performance against. When you have two hives, you may find that one hive is thriving better than another. When you find that, then you can go into maintenance mode by feeding the weak hive a little more, by moving some brood from your strong hive into your weak hive. There's some maintenance things that you can do to strengthen the weaker of the two hives that won't hurt the stronger of the two, okay? When we first put in our hive, I noticed a 30% increase, and that's no exaggeration, in the production in our garden. It's a big deal, it's a big, it's a big help, and you're helping preserve something that's really important. If you lose a hive over winter, don't beat yourself up. Now this past winter hadn't been too bad. Winter before us. Winter before last, a buddy of mine who has 10 hives, he keeps 10 hives, he wound up losing six. I lost all my hives that year, but I'm really, really small. So 
by having two, it increases your likelihood of being able to have a hive survive through a harsh winter. I hope this helped you out. I'm going to provide links for everything in the show notes. Uh, don't forget the listener appreciation contest. Swing by the blog, theruraleconomist.blogspot.com and click on the link that says listener appreciation contest. If you enjoyed it, share it. Tell somebody about it. Swing by whatever podcast directory you've picked us up on and give us a rating. It'll really help us. I appreciate it. Step by step, we're bringing rural back. Bye-bye.